Thanks for listening to Chicago's Morning Answer podcast sponsored by Signature Bank. Signature Bank takes pride in helping customers grow their business and provide unmatched banking expertise, custom financial solutions, and the industry's best technology. So whether you're a business looking for a deposit relationship or needs a ready source of financing, Signature Bank is the right bank for you. Call today at 773-467-5600 to hear how Signature Bank can help your business grow and thrive. Member FDIC, Equal Housing Lender. This is Chicago's Morning Answer with Dan Proft and Amy Jacobson on AM560, The Answer. Top of the morning, Dan and Amy. So no big guy, but you got Peabut, East Palestine residents. Uh, Peabut showing up in East Palestine yesterday to... uh, you know, don the cloak of the self-loathing construction worker, you know, because he's not fond of white construction workers. Oh, that, but then he morphs into a white construction worker. See how he did that? You know, and it, did you like the outfit with the the reflective vest and the hard hat? Oh, he's in there, man. He's getting dirty. Getting in the it. White House uh, spokesman, uh, KJP, Karine Jean-Pierre, explained, did some press explaining to uh, the D.C. press corps about why it's not important that the big guy visits. He's got better things to do. Uh, the whole of government response is sufficient for East Palestine residents. Again, I don't have anything to share on a presidential visit, uh, I, not at this time or anything to announce. But it does matter that the president put forth a multi-agency uh, uh, kind of reaction to this, well, taking it seriously. Showing up, right? I, look, showing up is having the Environmental Protection Administrator on the ground. Showing up is having the DOT Secretary on the ground to talk about what 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 is the next process. Holding holding to account the company that caused the spill. That's what you're seeing from Secretary Buttigieg today. Was that what we were seeing from him? Uh, he got off to a bit of a slow start. Yeah. Uh, his tongue slipped. He lost a train. Both information and misinformation injected into this situation, none of which is to the benefit of the community uh, when it comes to that misinformation. So I think, so I lost my train of thought. Um, uh-oh, uh-oh. Too soon? Pun. <laughs> I lost my train I assume the of thought. pun was not intended. Uh, Peabot addressing his tardiness in acknowledging the disaster after it occurred, even from the upper recesses of uh, the D.C. Ivory Tower. Before you send your first tweet expressing concern for the residents of East Palestine, a week and a half after the accident happened, in hindsight, was that waiting too long to express anything hours after you had addressed the makeup of work crews on highway construction projects just that very day? The answer to your question is yes. I felt strongly about this and uh, could have expressed that sooner. Again, I was taking pains to respect the the role that I have and the role that I don't have, but that should not have stopped me from weighing in about how I felt about what was happening to this community. Oh, I thought he was talking about white construction workers again. Uh, Okay. All right. right. Should should have tweeted sooner. Uh, Should have shown up sooner. But, you know, again, that balance. That balance. He's always striking balances. He's always managing competing interests he wants to you know uh, pre- uh, present a uh, an even-handed approach to 
his job because, you know, as KJP says, these are people who take their work very seriously. They're doing the work. Let me be clear and so on and so forth. In retrospect, should you have come a little sooner? So, again, uh, in terms of the timing of the visit, I'm trying to strike the right balance, uh, allowing NTSB to play its role, but making sure we're here in that show of support. Stuck the landing. (laughs) Stuck it, the landing. 312-642-5600, turnkey.pro answer line. 64636-DA, turnkey.pro text line. These rehearsed lines are getting old, don't you think? And he should have come earlier. We'll just say, you know what, we made a mistake. You know, I'm here now. I see you. I yeah, hear you. Yeah. I want to drink your water with you. Right. Right. <laughs> Who's got a yeah. solo cup? Yeah. Let's exactly. play water pong. Come on. Mm-hmm. That, he could have done that. Yeah. That would have actually been funny. You got on um, a table and some cups and yeah. Instead of doing uh water pong or uh maybe water roulette in East Palestine, I'm not sure. Uh he uh called on a national figure. Oh, who does he call? The uh, who shall remain nameless oh. uh, to, uh, you know, help with the effort here if he's really serious. And to any national political figure who has decided to get involved in uh, the plight of East Palestine, uh, Palestine, excuse me, uh, I have a simple message, uh, which is I need your help, because if you're serious about this, there is more that we could do to prevent more communities from going through this. Well, tell us, P-Butt, what Please. can Trump do for you? <laughs> you mentioned a national political figure who's decided to get involved. It sounds like you're talking about Trump. And then you said, I need your help. How can he help? Well, one thing he could do is uh, uh, express support for reversing the deregulation uh, that uh, happened on his watch. I heard him say he had nothing to do with it, even though it was in his administration. Uh, so if he had nothing to do with it, and uh, they did it in his administration against his will, uh, maybe he could come out and say that uh, uh, that uh, he supports us moving in a different direction. Uh, we're not afraid to own our policies when it comes to raising the bar on regulation. And uh, I've got to think that uh, uh, him indicating that this is uh, something that everybody, no matter how much you disagree on politics and presidential campaigns, can get behind, higher fines, tougher uh, uh, regulations on safety, Congress untying our hands on breaking rules, all the other things that go with that, uh, that'd be a nice thing for him to do. Um, You heard on this show yesterday that that's what P-Butt would say, more regulations and we have to attack corporate greed. So more regulations, expand the government, attack corporate greed, shrink the private sector. They're the problem. We're the solution. You've seen this before. And all it takes is for nobody to actually know what Peabody is talking about to the extent he knows what he's talking about to say, oh, well, yeah, that sounds right. No, it doesn't, actually. If you understand what he's referencing and you get a little bit of the backstory, but that's why you listen to this show. Uh, we mentioned it yesterday, but repeating, uh, Peabody is citing an Obama-era reg that mandated electronically controlled pneumatic braking technology on some trains carrying flammable liquids such as oil. These ECB, ECP brakes, electronically controlled pneumatic braking, ECP brakes, that's what he re- was referring to when okay. he said braking technology, apply pressure throughout the trains instantaneously, unlike conventional brakes in which each car receives a signal sequentially through an air pipe. The costly rule provided marginal safety benefits, but it would have advanced the left's 
anti-fossil fuel agenda. First block pipelines, then make it prohibitively expensive to move oil by rail. That was the real play uh, by the left okay. here. Uh, so Congress instructed the DOT to reevaluate its analysis, cost-benefit, and for the GAO to do an assessment. Uh, the GAO identified myriad problems with the government's cost-benefit analysis. And so the Trump administration rescinded the rule in 2018. That's what Peabot was referring to. There's no evidence ECP breaks would have prevented the derailment. And the Obama rule wouldn't have applied to the Norfolk Southern train because, as we know, it wasn't classified as a high-hazard flammable unit train, which is a whole other question about why it wasn't given that classification, but it wasn't. So even under the Obama-era rule that Peabody is referring to, it wouldn't have been applicable because this train didn't have that designation. So there's the rest of the story, if you'll excuse my Paul Harvey, that you won't get probably anywhere else because people will just sort of generically talk about this and allow PIPA to generically get away with misinformation, if uh, you will. And on The View yesterday, they just said, <clears throat> Trump did this. This, this tr- train derailment is Trump's fault. Well, this is what I'm talking right. about. It's it's PIPA says, oh, tr- it, it's, it's a Trump, it was a safety rag that was rescinded in the Trump era, so he's to blame. And so it says, well, they're uh, on watch now, so they're to blame. Let's get into the specifics. So we know what uh, quote-unquote solutions are being proposed and how applicable they are. And what Peabot, like so many Pauls are doing on both sides, uh, are good at doing, is just to make sort of payons to you know, the god of regu- government regulation, the god of government intervention, or the devil of corporate America, uh, because they you know exist to make profits, they exist to make money, uh, you know, to finance the rapacious government that he's a part of. And so let, let's really get into it. So we can distinguish who's real and who isn't. Who knows what they're talking about who, who doesn't. Joe in Hoffman Estates, you're on Chicago's Morning Answer. Hey, good morning, guys. Um, Pete said he wants Trump to get behind him, but I don't think Trump rolls that way, so that's yeah. never going to happen. Yeah, that's a great point. Thanks for the call, Joe. It's not how he rolls. It's true. Um, did you catch uh, Peabut's spokes being... Oh, yeah, the woman who wouldn't talk. Yeah, Peabot went in to a building to, I don't know, don his uh, construction drag. And uh, and so then she was left with the press corps, and she was happy to answer questions, but not on camera. She's she's a press secretary. This is how that went. Do the government slow response? Do you have any apology? I'm a press person. I can help you. Sure, I'm a, I'm a, sure, sure. sure. So, so can, 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 can we ask why what was his personal time off while there was a tragedy happening here? Because we also asked too why it, you know, he waited until President Donald Trump came here to actually make an appearance. This is a very important question that people across America would like to know. I'm happy to have a conversation with you. I do not want to be on camera. I have a question here. My name's Dr. Jones. I'm sorry, we're going to have you guys, I would like you guys to turn your cameras off. You're not on my happy. camera. Well, I'm on a camera. I would like the cameras to be off, and then I'm happy to talk to you guys. I will talk to you on my terms. What? What? What, what is that? What is that? I, I will only talk to you off camera? You're a communications rep for the agency. What are you talking about? Uh, uh, off camera? I, I just, I don't even understand that. 
I, I don't, I mean, I, I understand that maybe she doesn't want her face associated with his agency in this administration. I could understand yeah. that. But I mean, what what is that? A press secretary who is telling everybody you have to go dark in order to talk to me? I'll talk to you off camera, off the record. I won't. What is that? Oh, right. That's this the most transparent administration in history. That's what it is. Sure. Connect with Dan and Amy on the AM560 The Answer mobile app. Just text the word app to 64636 to download the app today. Hey, business owners, is your business and money in good hands? Does your bank invest in your success? Hi, Mike Gallagher here, letting you know that when you need a relationship bank, Signature Bank makes commercial banking personal. I love these guys. Not only do they have expansive industry experience, a strong financial track record, but they're also highly capitalized for strategic growth. That's so important. That's why Signature Bank is my bank. They know what it means to grow a business by designing solutions that are right for you and only you. These are real people. They're ready to help. So reach out to my friends at Signature Bank. Make the call today, 773-467-5630, 773-467-5630, or visit them online at SignatureBank.Bank. That's SignatureBank.Bank. Your business could be Signature Bank's next success story. Go online, SignatureBank.Bank, member FDIC, equal housing lender, Signature Bank. Only the biggest stories, only the biggest guests, and only the biggest opinions. This is AM560, The Answer. Top of the morning, Dan and Amy. After a 16-year-old high school volleyball player was struck and... Uh, lost both of her legs in an accident that was precipitated by a a 21-year-old who was on bond awaiting trial in an armed robbery and who was on bond despite having more than 50 violations of the terms of his you know, his his release pending trial. God, I thought he was 19. I I read that story yesterday because a lot of our players, they, they were in St. Louis for a volleyball tournament. And it was right outside the the complex where he hit her. So after that incident, uh, Missouri Attorney General Andrew Bailey has had enough with St. Louis Circuit Attorney Kim Gardner, who is one of these identitarian, Soros-funded, non-prosecution, decarceration prosecutors. I think you're familiar with the type since we have Kim Fox in Cook County. Here's what Attorney General Bailey had to say in announcing uh, his uh, quo warranto action against Kim Gardner, which would seek. This is not like Florida, where the governor can step in and just remove her from office for dereliction of duty in Missouri. At least there's a process. There's a judicial process. And so the attorney general needs to move for a judicial determination that she is unfit for office. And here's the case that the AG has against Gardner laid out in general terms. I'm here to discuss briefly the three claims made in the petition in Core Warranto, and those claims are that the circuit attorney has failed to prosecute cases that are pending in her jurisdiction. These are cases she charged but then allowed to languish and have sat and resulted in eventual dismissals or failure to prosecute. The third claim, or excuse me, the second claim is that she has failed to confer and inform victims of the procedural posture and ultimate disposition in criminal cases. She has a constitutional, statutory, and moral obligation to stay in contact with victims of crime and has failed to do so. 
Finally, that she has neglected her duties by failing to charge new cases referred to her by the St. Louis Metropolitan Police Department. These three behaviors constitute a continued pattern of failure to discharge her duties in office and represent neglect under the statutes and warrant removal. Uh, And remember, uh, Kim Gardner presides over a community in the city of St. Louis that has the second highest murder per capita rate in the country behind only New Orleans. And she has spent most of her time in office. She was elected, first elected in 2016 at war with the St. Louis Police Department. Sound familiar? Does the story have a ring to it at all? He mentioned that sort of the three buckets with this case of this volleyball player who was severely injured being the last straw for Bailey, the governor of Missouri she also lost supports her legs. The governor of Missouri also supports uh, removing her from office. But he talked about cases. It just talked about incompetence, cases that were not moved along in a timely fashion. Uh, for example, on July of in, in July of 2021, charges in a murder case were dropped due to the prosecutor not showing up to multiple hearings in the case. The judge in the case saying that Kim Gardner's office quote, essentially abandoned its duty to prosecute those as charges with crimes, unquote. Um, so many controversies over the last uh, seven years with her in office. Remember, she was the one who moved to prosecute former Missouri Governor Eric Greitens. And uh, setting aside Greitens' personal conduct for a minute, Uh, She ended up being disciplined by the state Supreme Court for the way she pursued that investigation to Greitens. She violated the canons. That's one. Cases like this murder case I just mentioned. Two. She tried to prosecute the McCloskeys. Remember? Oh, I remember them. The night of the riot. What were they doing? Protecting their home is what they were doing. Uh, Ultimately, she was disqualified from prosecuting the case against Mark McCloskey, one of the two attorneys with the, you know, remember the rifle out there when the protesters were oh, yeah. l- laying siege to St. Louis. Uh, in in disqualifying Gardner from prosecuting the case against Mark McCloskey because of the politics that she infused into the investigation and prosecution, the judge wrote, the circuit attorney is... Uh, conduct raises the appearance that she initiated a criminal prosecution for political purposes. (laughs) And then, I mean, you know, on top of it, so what does she do because of her incompetence and ideology that pollutes her office and results in the failure to prosecute criminals and the uh, improper pursuit and prosecution of others? For political reasons, what does she do? Well, she claims she's a victim. Of course she does. Oh, please. In January of 2020, Kim Gardner filed a civil rights lawsuit against the city of St. Louis and the St. Louis Metropolitan Police Department, alleging a racist conspiracy. She uh, uh, claimed there is a history of racial discrimination in the police force, and they are conspiring against her. Uh Marilyn Mosby, Baltimore Soros-funded prosecutor, formerly, uh, now under indictment. Uh, she she flew in from Baltimore to stand with her sister, Kim oh, Gardner, 
in this lawsuit. Maybe, I mean, this, you know what? Maybe this, those these are two, who these people are. Well, maybe those two girls could go visit Janae in the hospital because the car took her right leg off right away. Her left leg was mangled. Thank God her dad was an 11-year-old military guy. He knew how to apply a tourniquet. She's on a ventilator right now. Maybe they can go see her in the hospital. And then when she wakes up, they could tell her that she lost both of her legs after she just signed for college to play volleyball. I mean, these people are pathetic. They never once think of the victim and how in they the, ru- let, let their policies ruin people's lives. In the racial discrimination case, the district court judge who dismissed Gardner's lawsuit against the St. Louis, city of St. Louis, the St. Louis Police Department. She's the prosecutor in town suing the city, suing the police department, alleging a racist conspiracy. The district court judge wrote, her 32-page complaint can best be described as a conglomeration of unrelated claims and conclusory statements supported by very few facts, which do not plead any recognizable cause of action. Gardner presents no specific material facts, circumstantial or otherwise, to show defendants acted with each other for the purpose of depriving her or anyone else of a constitutional right to equal protection. Her complaint is nothing more than a compilation of personal slights, none of which rise to a legal cause of action. I mean, this is quite a record that she has amassed over seven years. Wow. 312-642-5600, turnkey.pro answer line. You could also reach us on our text line, 64636. Type in DA, then a quick comment. Oh, and I'm not done. Okay. But after uh, she got sanctioned by the Supreme Court for her misconduct in the Greitens matter, mm-hmm. then <laughs> she tried to hide records, or she wouldn't disclose records, which is sort of the same thing, uh, associated with that investigation. Um, John Solomon, our friend from Just the News, had to sue Kim Gardner in St. Louis Circuit Court under Missouri's open records law to get um, documents related to investigations involving the former Republican governor, Eric Greitner, Eric Greitens. Um, the circuit court judge in the case wrote Gardner's conduct in this case has recklessly impeded the judicial process. He determined that Gardner purposely violated the law in order to produce the records requested within 30 days and find her office five grand. Oh, and by the way, if you want to go back, <laughs> I'm not done yet. If you want to go back to her time in the state legislature in Missouri before she was the St. Louis Circuit Court yeah, what attorney, did she, do then? she admitted to repeated campaign finance violations, violations including using campaign donations to pay for a private apartment. You know, the kind of stuff Jesse Jackson Jr. and Sandy go to jail for. Uh, she reached an agreement with the Missouri Ethics Commission to pay a settlement of six grand in lieu of a $63,000 fine, but it's just, I mean, it's, these are somewhat little things, and then you get to big things. And, yeah, and as you were saying, uh, when you have people who are victimized by other people who shouldn't have been on the streets, and you could have prevented them from being on the streets, and you were compelled to prevent them from being on the streets because of repeated uh, uh, bond violations, then, yeah, that's a big thing. And this is what contributes to the lawlessness in St. Louis, like the lawlessness in Chicago, like the lawlessness in Baltimore, like the lawlessness yeah. in Memphis, like the lawlessness in New York, like the lawlessness in Los Angeles, and so on and so in forth. Everywhere there is a Soros-funded prosecutor and a similarly situated ideological identitarian in the mayor's office. And thank God her parents, they stayed, They well, obviously their daughter's still in the hospital on the ventilator, but they stayed and they went and delivered an emotional testimony in court to make sure that this judge does not let him out again or deny him bond, and he was denied bond. 
Ugh, but that's what it has to take? I mean, my God, wake up. Uh, Marvin in Burlington, Wisconsin. Jim Dan, uh, good morning uh, to you both. I, I just wonder if there's a time approaching, maybe we're in the process of it now, uh, where it's like the boy who cried wolf, that people are just going to turn the deaf ear to the racism charge because it's used over and over again. It's the fault of everything. And when there's none to be, nothing to be found, the wild hair of racism head appears, and, oh, it's the evil white person, you know, and, and these people who are just never going to – are they ever going to wake up and understand who they are voting for or even get off their lazy ass and get out there and vote for something that maybe might help them? I mean, it's, it's really pathetic. It's Thanks. really pathetic. Thanks for the call, Marvin. Well, I mean, uh, uh, you know, to the credit of the courts in, uh, in and around St. Louis – they have uh, consistently understood who Kim Gardner is and the quality of her work product and gone on the record indicating as such, haven't they? They've amassed, she's amassed quite a record in the courts in and around St. Louis. Please. Uh, it's remarkable. But to your point uh, about the battered voter syndrome, no, I get it. We have it here, battered voter syndrome. Is that what we call it? Yeah. That's uh, sort of my, one of my new terms for it. I pay, uh, please, what do I have to do to get you to like me? <laughs> what do I have to do to get you to like me? That's what voters do. What do I have to say? Yeah, yeah what I have to do? Yeah. Uh, they, we, I, we, we support people, and I'm. Uh, there's, there's different cohorts here, but like for the center right voter, like the Vallis voter is a good example in Chicago. I'm a Vallis voter. Yeah. Uh, I, I, I am so enthusiastic about people who despise me. I, I can't wait to support. We have to support this person who despises us. Battered voter syndrome. Glenn in Oakbrook. Yeah, good morning, uh, Dan and Amy. Uh, this uh, young girl's life is ruined, and uh, it's devastating. And I'm wondering if anyone from the Biden administration is going to visit her and the family, and will she be invited to the next State of the Union? I know. I mean, she's Thanks, she's black too. He's black. I mean, I, I just thank God her dad saved her life. Oh my God! And you see the crash scene video. Oh dear Lord. Uh, yeah. He shouldn't have been out on the streets. He had an electronic monitoring on for a while, and he yeah got around that too. Roger Supposed to be in home confinement, you know, Dan. He was allowed to go to work, but he still was violating bond. Roger Southside. Happy Friday to both of you. Uh, yeah, extremely sad. I don't even want to talk about it. But when, you know, the problem we have, uh, Dan and Amy, is, you know, these uh, over and over and over again, these lower level judges who are making these decisions on these no bonds, this and that, and they're going right along with the, the ideology of these politicians where it's never going to get corrected because they're at the appellate court level. They're here, the Ann Burks, you ever, does anybody really know who's on the Illinois uh, Supreme Court? I mean, if you looked at these people, I mean, these you're talking about a bunch of rich white ladies who've had white guilt since they were at Little Flower in the 50s. Um, it's a problem, and people on the right know this is a problem, and it's a problem that people aren't going to keep sitting with. I mean, like, a good example is Rancher down in Southern Hills, Arizona. You know, people aren't going to just keep sitting back and saying, okay, yeah, 
I know. I mean, what I love is these Cook County judges that we've had over the years, and I know a lot of them, okay, who, you know, go and um, get their jobs through Madigan, Burke, or Preckwinkle, okay, the 200 grand a year for the two and a half hours of work a day, okay, then they lead BLM marches through their neighborhoods, and then they retire to Florida. I mean, you want to talk about whores, a whore. Whores, all of them, not just women, none too, all the way up. Thanks for the call, Roger. Um, something else about the, these offices we've talked about before, we talked about in the context of the Safety Act, which is pending before our Supreme Court, as you know. Yeah. Um, you know, you um, have people like Kim Fox or Kim Gardner or Larry Krasner in Philadelphia, so many examples, uh, Gasson in L.A., you have them in charge, and what, what also happens? Flight of talent. So you lose prosecutors. In point of fact, the St. Louis Post-Dispatch reported in September of 2019, three years after Gardner was elected, more than 65 attorneys with a combined uh, experience of more than 460 years left her office. Uh, you had more than 100% turnover rate in the first three years that Gardner was the St. Louis Circuit Court, uh, St. Louis Circuit Attorney, and uh, we've no, we heard lost the same, 235 here. Yeah, we've heard the same story, and it's not just the the numbers, but it's also particularly talented people like the former head of felony review, Jim Murphy, who wrote that, you know, I can't be here anymore letter last that. year when he resigned, which was important. So, and it's the same thing uh, we were hearing. Possibly, if you don't allow people to do their job and the job that we want them to do consistent with the constitution and the rule of law, then they will leave and go do something else. We talked about the same thing in the teaching profession. We talk about the same thing in the policing profession. Well, it applies to prosecutors too. And so the continued disintegration of all of those institutions where ideological identitarians drive good people from the profession. And that's what's happening in prosecutors' offices around the country, too. It's an underappreciated aspect of it. We'll talk more about it with uh, Matt Rosenberg from Wirepoints when he joins us a little bit later in the program to talk about their uh, murder report on big cities like St. Louis, like Chicago. Dan and Amy, Chicago's Morning Answer. Connect with Dan and Amy on the AM560 The Answer mobile app. Just text the word APP to 64636 to download the app today. Business owners, now's the time for your business to make the move to a locally owned business bank. Hi, Mike Gallagher here to let you know that you don't have to look far. Signature Bank was founded in Chicago with a simple mission to help companies like yours grow, succeed, and thrive. Their decisions are made locally by a terrific team that knows your name, cares about your business, and invests in your success. That's why Signature Bank is my bank. I'm a customer. As business owners, they knew that local family-owned businesses were not getting the help they needed or deserved. So, I invite you to reach out to my friends at Signature Bank today. Write the number down. Remember this phone number, Signature Bank, 773-467-5630. And learn all about this great bank, 773-467-5630. Or visit them online at SignatureBank.Bank. That's SignatureBank.Bank. Signature Bank makes commercial banking personal. Member FDIC, Equal Housing Lender. This is Chicago's Morning Answer with Dan Proft and Amy Jacobson on AM560, The Answer. 
Top of the morning, Dan and Amy. Sorry, triple threat. Uh, Kevin Garnett's not going to be enough. It's we, could, not... we acquired Kevin Garnett? Wilson? He endorsed triple threat. Oh, okay. I'm like, he's coming back out of retirement. No, I said not, not triple threat Kevin Garnett. Oh. Kevin Garnett is not going to be enough for triple threat. Not enough of a triple Got threat. Got it. Okay. Yeah. From Farragut High School. Yes. Yeah. So it's not going to happen. Um, so... Uh, the death throes, I get it. You've got a weekend full of death throes leading into Tuesday's primary election. And then it's Vallis and Brandon Johnson. And um, I mean, again, I'm just fascinated by the, the Republican or the center-right Vallis voter um, who just cannot be insulted enough. Now Vallis is running around to uh, do fundraisers at white shoe law firms singing the praises of Ali G and Susanna Mendoza, as he did yesterday. Uh Uh-huh. Yeah, because he's looking for their endorsement. Uh, uh, Okay. I know. If that's what you think. Okay. So you're running with Brandon Johnson, the other uh, candidate in the runoff. So this would happen last night. All the seven of the nine candidates went to the hideout. It's a bar near Elston and Armitage. I'm I'm familiar with it. I'm sure you've been there. Um, and they, it was a goofy Chicago Axios was in charge. It was a goofy, like deep dish or thin crust. You drive up to Portillo's and you order, you know, um, and Brandon Johnson went first and he was, you know, he was, he was pretty good. It was kind of stand up comedy sort of. And so when he was walking out, by, by the way, you, you know, who the, the, who owns the hideout. I mean, since you're Mrs. Chicago. I don't, I don't, I'm not a big bar person, but the guy tried to throw me out last night. Yeah. Tim and Katie Tutton. Tim Tutton was a, a higher up in CPS. He's a he's a functionary of the union left in Chicago. Okay. Well, yeah. he had a mask on and he was trying. And I said, I can't. I don't speak mask. What are you saying? But that's an ancillary. That's a side story. So Brandon Johnson, he's walking out. I said, hey, my name's Amy. I work at AM560. We'd love to have you call in. You know, we're trying to get final arguments from all the candidates. And he said, all right, well, what do you want to ask me? And I said, well, I first want to start, you know, a lot of teachers, believe it or not, are not happy that their union dues went to fund your campaign. And he, and he, he, he almost touched my hand. He goes, you better not be recording. I said, I won't if you don't want me to. He goes, is this off the record? And I say, yeah. And he leans in and he goes, are you for real? He's in my space. I mean, so I, are so you I, for real? So I guess it wasn't off the record. So I said, um, what do you mean? He goes, for the beginning of time, Democratic unions since the beginning of time have been donating money to Democratic candidates. I am a strong black man. I am a good leader. And I will make this city better. And I said, okay, how? And he said, I'm done talking to you. And he walked away. So uh, I looked at, you know, how he's going to make this city, but he's a defund policer, that's for sure. But he wants a head tax for employee, owners of employees. to so get a head tax. No, no, he wants a commuter <sighs> tax. He wants to raise the motel, hotel tax. But he will do. He will give the CTU everything that they want, and he's going to put that union first before the people of Chicago. He is scary. He cannot be our next mayor of Chicago. <laughs> he cannot be, Dan. And you keep uh, saying that he might, but the latest polls, Vallis 32, Brandon Johnson 18, Lightfoot in third with 13.6, Chewy with 11.6, mm-hmm. and then Willie coming up. But there's still 14% undecided. Uh-huh. My and question- then, and then, there's a, then there's a runoff on Tuesday, and then seven candidates go away. And so the dynamics completely change. I don't know if you, is that if you're hanging your hat on Paul Vallis is 30 percent at present, then you're misunderstanding what happens in a runoff. Well, I don't think we're going to know who the two candidates are on Tuesday night. 
because Max Bever from the Chicago Board of Elections says they have 210,000 mail-in ballots, and they can only process 30 to 40,000 on election night. So if, if there's, if, you know, it's just like the race for second place. And if they're within 5%, they can um, re- demand a recount. And also, too. Not, 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 not 5%. That's what he said, within 5%. Not, not, no, no, no. Of the second, five, if you're within five percentage points of the no, second no place one, finisher. No one is demanding a recount if they're five percentage points down. Maybe uh, five-tenths of a point, but not 5%. Get, get a grip. Okay. For, first of all, um, that even if all the ballots aren't counted on Tuesday night, if the spread between second place and third place is more than a point or two, then the race is over because you can extrapolate and make it essentially a 95% standard, uh, confidence interval guesstimate about how the votes would be distributed depending on where the votes are and so on and so forth. So this, this, this idea that this is going to be Maricopa County, I mean, look, this is not a vote of confidence in how Chicago administers its elections. But unless it is extremely close and right now it doesn't trend, it's, the trend is not that it's going to be close, then you're going to know on Tuesday night or early Wednesday morning. But we still have this goofy law in place so you can mail in a ballot if it's post-dated uh, February 28th that can be counted two weeks until after the election. I don't think it'll get to that, but the fact that we even have that in place, that's, that needs to be changed. This, the story of this uh, election is, is very simple, the, the, run, the, the, the primary leading to the runoff, is you have a honky candidate, one of nine. Mm-hmm. You have seven black candidates and one Latino candidate. And the seven black candidates are splitting up the black vote. And Chuy Garcia had needed to build more with public sector unions than just just realized the Latino support, which is not universal for him. Um, And he didn't do it. And still Latinos are punching under their weight in terms of population in Chicago because of a number of issues, but they just don't represent at the ballot box what their actual numbers are in Chicago yet. And in the Latino communities, early voting is not even at one percent right now. So, so Chewy and and as I said before, you have the honky candidate with law enforcement, the northwest side and the south and southwest side, and self-hating Republicans, and then you have the candidate who filled the void left by a wildly unpopular incumbent mayor and a woefully inept Chewy Garcia. Somebody had to fill that void, and Brandon Johnson's filled it, largely fueled with public sector money. But he also came into the race with a bit of a constituency as a Cook County commissioner, right. not to mention a former CTU flack. Well, he currently – now, how does this work? Because – I heard last night, and I'm going to check the records, but that he works for the CTU as a community activist, and they pay him $100,000 a year. So? And you can do that? Okay. Well, so so what? Well, he's good. I mean, he knows how to work a crowd, they and pay, he's they smart. Pay, His fa- father's they, a pastor. I mean, well, he's, what, what, what does his CTU activist and running for mayor have to do? I uh, being I a county commissioner. I mean, the, the, the alderman running uh, make $100,000, or the state rep running make $75,000, and he's still running. So what's the point? Okay. I just... 
I didn't know that you could have a, another job as a Cook County Commissioner. But I guess they all have. Well, he jobs. he won't keep his job as Cook County Commissioner if he's mayor. But right. you can you can retain your office while you run. Whether you should or shouldn't is a different question. But I mean, the, who running other than uh, J. Mal Green and Paul Vallis doesn't have a current office? I mean, that's always the case, which is why you have such a shallow talent pool is because you have to get people that want to do it, number one. So that winnows the universe of talented people who could do a lot of other things that are probably more rewarding. And then number two, you have to be able to self, you know, you have to, be able to live, self-finance. You have to be have enough flexibility in your work life for enough money squirreled away that you can be a full-time candidate, which running for mayor requires. So that's those are a couple of reasons why, oh, are we always choosing between the lesser of two evils? Well, it's sort of the way we structure it. If you didn't allow politicians to keep office when they were running for the next office, that could change. That would be very different. Well, I just don't know how in the heck did Brandon Johnson go from 3% in December of 2022 to now 18% a because, few months later? What, what, what do you mean? What do you mean you don't know? Because he had millions of dollars in public sector union money that he used to broadcast and introduce himself and brand himself and generate the awareness required to be viable. That's how. Money. And all these candidate forums where, yeah, he's he performs sort of well. Yeah, he, he has good. a moment where he attacks Vallis, and so that gets him in the news cycle and so on and so forth. So a little earned media. But he was nowhere without public sector union backing and all the money that translated into TV and digital ads and mail and so forth. Money. Resources, And he says all the other candidates are lying if they think they're going to hire police. For every single candidate that is saying that they're going to hire 1,000 more cops, they are lying to the people of Chicago. You, you, you're not going to hire 1,000 more cops overnight. There's some truth to that. I don't know. Who never said it's going to be overnight. The, the, the more interesting thing to me, I, I, can't, I can't get a response on this, the battered voter syndrome with uh center-right ballast voters. He despises you. Please like me. I mean, are you any better than Kamala Harris or Jeb Bush? Stan, as she enters the room. Hello, <laughs> you can clap. It's okay. <laughs> <laughs> Love was, Oh, my. That's embarrassing. It's like Lightfoot at the basketball game at Proviso East. I think the next president needs to be a lot quieter, but send a signal that we're prepared to act in the interests of this country to get back in the business of creating a more peaceful world. Please clap. <laughs> <laughs> like me. Why don't you like me? Paul, if I support you, will you like me? I'll put a pee hat on. Right? People despise, I'm so passionate. We have to, because I know that he despises me. I know that he doesn't share my policy views. Please like me. Anybody but Lightfoot. Brandon Johnson's scary. All the rationales. Come on. Batter voter in Chicago and in Illinois. We do it in Republican primaries. Go get conventional establishment. Money guy. Yeah. 
Oh, this is extreme. Oh, extreme. Scary. 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 Got to go with uh, the Durkins and the, and the Bronners and the Topinkas. The Tom Crosses of the world. Oh, yeah, they're responsible. They're responsible. Uh, money. I was talking to a partner in my firm, and he said, that's a, that's a responsible choice. He can, the others can't win. Too far. Too conservative. Can't believe anything and win an office in this state. You know that. Oh, yeah, of course. Sure. Right. Yeah. So now, so now we do it with We do it in mayor's races, too. Why do we want to participate? Why not go maximum Marxism? Yeah. Why? No. Because gonna, you're going to slow walk your, yourself to the same place instead. Okay. But don't. But, but, the CTU is a terror. Ex- no, terrorist organization. Yeah, no, they're I a terrorist or extortionist. Yeah, extortionist, criminal enterprise. I know. I've been saying it for thirty years. Yeah, and that's that's that, that doesn't answer the question. You're just telling me uh, things that are terrible in the city. I know. The question is, why not give the city what it wants? It's going to get it anyway. Because I'm of the belief Marxism. Yes. Why? legitimize the self why defy the the process and the uh, options why defile yourself by giving your imprimatur to somebody who despises you and what you believe i don't well that makes no sense to me i don't believe he wrote that press release i don't believe that that's he, i'm sorry who he is he is the candidate those he is standing by those words. He knows well, know. they're he doubled out, down he, on it last night too. Right, they, he, to everybody else, it was fun. So and fun he and is he gets up yes, there and they attack right. So why he, I are don't, you endorsing the FLP? So so st- st- stay focused here. So if he is uh, doubling down, then those are his words. So uh, he didn't write that press release. What does that even mean? That's not who he is. So he's a liar. I just is, think is, there's is, is he, some showmanship so, in politics. Oh, is that showmanship to call you a right wing extremist? To call me a right wing extremist? That's you, what you call showmanship. So he's a liar or what? Or he I, hates you no, he and everything you believe he, he in, but we support. Uh, he does he hate, hate us. Does he, does he hate right-wing extremists? He said so. Does, does he say that we don't share, uh, he doesn't share our values? That's what he said. He certainly hates people who are racist. He certainly hates people who are trying to, to – uh, Erase the LGBT community. That's what he said. Is that showmanship? Is it? Just showmanship. I hate you. Oh, there he goes again with the showmanship. I despise you. The the showmanship. Oh, this is so enjoyable. He's doing what needs to be done. He's playing the game. To get into office. And then then when he gets to the game, what's he going to do? The things that he he did to show everybody who he is, to credentialize himself so he can get in office. And then what's he going to do? He's going to want to stay in office. Going to require more showmanship, isn't it? And then the showmanship is going to be demanded by those he was showing up to. They're good. The demand is going to be now it's time to implement the showmanship, Polly. You better because it was just showmanship. Now you got to answer to us. You don't have to worry about answering to conservatives because they're battered voters. They'll be with you anyway. Showmanship. I hate you. 
I despise you. I oppose everything you believe in. I will advance flags in opposite of the things that you want to see advanced. Showmanship. Can I participate? I don't know. I'll, can I participate I can in my self-destruction? School choice. School can choice. I participate in my self-destruction? School choice is a reality. Your school choice is like this is like Pavlovian with Vallis voters. First of all, he was at the back of the parade with school choice, not the front of it. Fact. Number two, we have school choice, the Illinois Opportunity, uh, Opportunity Tax Credit Scholarships. Right. So, And Paul Vallis had nothing to do with that. But we have it now, and it's statewide. That includes Chicago, and it's going to expand. Okay. And if he wants to voice some support for it, great. What is his specific plans to expand it? What is my belief in any specific plans he would have to expand it? What should yours be? He hates you. Kyle, Hanover Park. Hi. Uh, I, I enjoy listening to you guys every morning, and your tirade I completely agree with. Uh, I, in my personal opinion, Chicago should just elect uh, Tom Hardy's Bane, get it over with, Bane. wipe the slate clean, and uh, it, the, soon, the sooner that turd is flushed, the sooner we could actually clean the toilet. So I say full go-hard Marxism-Socialism, but you guys have a great day. Thanks for the call, Kyle. Yeah, Bane. Um that's what that's the, the Bane is going to be if Paul Vallis by some lark actually got in. Bane will be the public sector unions showing up to the fifth floor when Paul Vallis says I'm in charge and they say like Bane did. Do you feel like you're in charge? Do you feel like you're in charge? That's a punchline. And so is Vallis. And so is the battered voter. Please let me participate in. My self-destruction, please. Please let me make a fool of myself again. Please hornswoggle me one more time, latest Chicago politician. Make me look the fool. Please? Won't you? Dan and Amy, Chicago's Morning Answer. It's like a hot, steaming cup of information to start your day. It's Chicago's Morning Answer on AM560, The Answer. America First with Sebastian Gorka. Today at 3, right before Sean Thompson at 4 on AM560, The Answer. Top of the morning, Dan and Amy. Uh, Mrs. Alan Greenspan, she's uh, this corpse that works for NBC News. She interviewed uh, Reparation H the other day, Kamala, and uh, among the topics covered was uh, Ron DeSantis. Got to continue to poke at Ron DeSantis because Biden and Harris very worried about his presidential candidacy as the well they should be, and so it turned to the issue of K through twelve curriculum and the contretemps that DeSantis and the state of Florida got in with College Board with respect to their stilted, anti-racist AP black history course that they subsequently moved to change once the state of Florida offered public protestation. So here's how Andrea Mitchell queried Kamala Harris about that. Let me ask you, what does Governor Ron DeSantis not know about black history and the black experience when he says that slavery and the aftermath of slavery should not be taught to Florida school children? 
I don't know what he knows and what he doesn't know, but I know this. Any push to censor America's teachers and tell them what they should be teaching in the best interest of our children in, in partnership with the parents of America is, I think, um, wrong-headed. The people who know our children best are their parents and their teachers in terms of the time they spend and the investment they've placed in the brains and capacity of our children who are our nation's future. And it should not be some politician saying what should be taught in our classrooms. Right, yeah, very put upon, uh, very wonderful performance, of course. Uh, neither the question nor the answer has anything to do with what actually is happening in Florida or what Ron DeSantis' actual position is right. or what Ron DeSantis has actually said. So, But how did uh, they let that question go? I mean, you've got – meaning how did they, let, how they may, let it make the air? You've got an editor. You've got a producer. You've got executive producer. It's just she, – She works for I NBC. know where she works, but it's – even for kidding? NBC and MSNBC, that's a stretch. No, it isn't. That's center cut. So Andrea Mitchell, because of the pushback, mainly from uh, DeSantis's comms people Good. who are on the job right away, well done, she offered a, not an apology, but a clarification. Here's her clarification. And a postscript. In my interview last Friday with Vice President Harris, I was imprecise in summarizing Governor DeSantis's position about teaching slavery in schools. Governor DeSantis is not opposed to teaching the fact of slavery in schools, but he has opposed the teaching of an African-American studies curriculum, as well as the use of some authors and source materials that historians and teachers say makes it all but impossible for students to understand the broader historic and political context behind slavery and its aftermath in the years since. Oh. And that does it for this edition of Andrea Mitchell. <laughs> Uh, oh, I can't God. wait for the next edition. Uh, so there's the way to correct your imprecision by doubling down on it. 312-642-5600, turnkey.pro, answer line 64636. Type in DA, then a quick comment. Uh, Brian Griffin, who's a comms person for DeSantis, uh, said to all of the bookers and producers reaching out to our office from NBC News or MSNBC Governor, to, for uh, DeSantis to join your shows, this will be the standard response from our office until Andrea Mitchell apologizes and your track record improves the standard response from DeSantis's office. I think we need to take a step back. There will be no consideration of anything related to NBC Universal or its affiliates until and at least Andrea Mitchell corrects the blatant lie she made about the governor. Uh, Is that the governor's NBC name? Oh, sorry. <laughs> And NBC and its affiliates display a consistent track record of truthful reporting. Please feel free to pass this up and around the network. Well, they better stick to that. But the problem, you know, if they do a press conference, they can grab the video and audio from anyone. But they better hold their ground on this one because what she did was atrocious and irresponsible. And she knows it. And, you know, saying, I'm not sorry, but I was imprecise. That just doesn't cut it, woman. Well, um, the imprecision... Doubled was was uh, doubled down upon because the idea that oh he's not against the teaching of slavery as a fact but he's but he opposes uh, the inclusion of authors who historians say 
people will not be able to understand the context and importance of the that period in history without their contributions. That is absurd, right? I be be specific, Andrea. Uh, so we we can't understand slavery without hearing from Ibram Kendi or Ta-Nehisi Coates. Is that what you're saying? Well, how did people understand it before they existed on this planet? Or or uh, can we understand it without the collected works of Shelby Steele and Thomas Sowell and Frederick Douglass and uh, so many others who are well, not even considered or displaced for the 1619 Project authors du jour, who, by the way, historians have roundly criticized and point the 1619 Project, which, of course, is part of the inclusion in all of these uh, in the curriculum for in all these leftist indoctrination camps has been roundly ridiculed by noted historians, including historians who are men of the left at Ivy League schools. So Andrew Mitchell's little workaround doesn't work. The only thing I would say about DeSantis's response, his office's response, I like the response, but I, I, I don't want to stop asking for apologies from people. Yeah. Like Andrea Mitchell. What is her apology worth? It's not worth anything. It's like it's false civility. It's false contrition. The better play is to say Andrea Mitchell is a good symptom of the problem. She is a simpleton. She understands nothing about the topic she covers. She is a coward. She says things she knows to be untrue, and then she pretends to add context with additional untruths. She... Uh, uh, I would engage Andrea Mitchell. I'll go on NBC if it's me and Andrea Mitchell one-on-one, unscripted for 15 minutes. Then let's see how Andrea Mitchell does against Governor Santos. That's a better context. Let's put some ideas side by side. Don't dismiss Andrea Mitchell and let her run away with her high hat pretending that uh, you know, she's given the full context and now Ron DeSantis won't engage. No, no, no. Well, I don't want say- your okay. – can, can I just finish? I don't want your apology – I want your engagement in an unfiltered setting where I get to expose you for the charlatan that you are to your audience and everybody else who wants to see it. I go back to what James Hankins wrote about the Harvard professor a few weeks ago that we discussed. Best thing that Kevin McCarthy could do is use the House for as a debating chamber, bring in the left and bring in the right. You pick the topic and firing line style. People go at it. Oxford Union style. People go at it. You get five and you get five and then there's 10 and then there's 10 and then there's. That's the way to do it. I want an apology. We're ignoring NBC News. Uh -uh. Or just say this. We teach slavery as part of Florida's Florida's history curriculum. We don't ignore it. We just didn't accept that AP black history class because it was about queer gender and CRT. No. No. No? You don't think Why? that'll be a fact? Just state, or not even the second part of my comment. Just say we teach slavery in history courses in the state of Florida. I'm not going to. Why would I, why would I even consecrate such an because. idiotic statement with such a obvious truth? If you don't know it. If you think that, they think then that. you're not part of the serious people that we want included in this discussion. 
I don't care about people who would take the position that there's somebody in this country trying to prevent kids from learning about slavery. They're in, in a governor's office well, they're or there isn't. So if you can't start from a preschool premise, then I don't have time for you. Bye bye. You're dismissed. Now for the serious people. Let's talk about the actual substance of the issue, Andrew Mitchell, since you're so concerned about the quality of education in American history. So let's go back and forth and let's see how you hold up. Wipe the floor with the people like Andrew Mitchell. Make them stains on the dais. That's the way to do it. Philip in Blue Island. Uh, good morning, Riffle. Speaking, speaking um, of <laughs> pre- preparing to make somebody a stain, go ahead. <laughs> I knew that was coming. Um, isn't this somewhat of a distraction? It's a question. Uh, because, again, a lot of the things about slavery, I think uh, Roots and 12 Years of Slaves and all, you know, many uh, the movies have taken care of a lot of uh, that history. And I think a lot of it is has to do with um, um, uh, the whites, not all whites. The, the whites, the certain particular whites, maybe the southern whites and even some racist northern whites that were throwing rocks at Dr. King and, and standing in front of um, uh, uh, school uh, door front doors with the, uh, with the army and trying to walk a little girl, black girl in to get educated. And I think this is more with, with um, um, CRT or whatever is trying to um, – hide or trying to not be taught that not the children of today is that that was their parents that were fighting against civil rights not even human rights and that was a little that was a bridge too far that's still a bridge too far for a lot of folks for black people yeah yeah we i want to make sure orville faubus's uh, descendants know that he that you know, what his uh, record was as governor of Arkansas. i mean come on come on it's ridiculous philip it's just ridiculous. ridiculous? I, 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 I know I, I probably know more about the Little Rock Nine than you do. Um, the the, the why, point why is do you that? Be, because I read more than you do, because I read more oh, than you know that? most you know anybody that. does. Come on, man. Uh, so uh, stop with your Joe Biden impersonations. Point is this, that no one is trying to prevent anyone from learning about the civil rights movement, about Jim Crow laws, about the treatment of blacks, about the treatment of, of uh, Native Americans, about the treatment of the Chinese in the 19th century, about the treatment of the Irish and the Italians around the turn of the 20th century. No one is trying to prevent anyone from learning anything. It is opposition to a narrow cast ideological perspective that demands applause not critical thinking, and eschews dissent. That's what's actually happening. And that's the problem that DeSantis is addressing, as some other governors are, and academics and so forth. That's the issue. It's the 1619 Project that gets so much of American history wrong, but you're, you're perfectly entitled to do it. I'd be happy to bring the 1619 Project into my classroom if I was teaching history to compare and con- contrast it to all sorts of other accounts of, well, the entire history of America, but particularly slavery and Reconstruction, since that's where Nicole Hannah-Jones is focused, and the run-up to the Civil War, since she's got all of that wrong, um, and present them side by side. I want ideas 
and 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 analyses presented side by side, and few other people Another do. Question. DeSantis is one of them, and that's why I applaud him. What about the What about the governor in in Texas? Isn't Isn't there like rewriting history or striking things out of history books that has to do with uh, uh, Africans in America's history? I mean, there's things that's, that's what, what, what are you what specific? Uh, what are you talking about? Specifically, uh, what are you well, talking uh, about? Uh, Again, it's a question. I'm, 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 uh, this is well, what I don't I've know. Heard. I don't know what I've you're referencing. I've never heard about that. You, yeah. None of you have heard of, of the Texas governor uh, um, uh, striking things out of uh, black history in uh, maybe colleges or elementary schools or, 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 or Texas education. They're rewriting a lot of the, the history, and they're taking a lot of things out. Well, I, I have to do some more research. That's why I'm asking the question. Well, I, I've, I've heard, heard, I've heard caricatures. Heard. I've heard caricatures of Abbott, like I've heard caricatures of DeSantis, but I haven't seen okay. any specific examples to back up those caricatures. That's my point. Thanks for the call, Philip. Bob and Wilmette. Hey, good morning, uh, Dan and Amy. Um, Dan, you're you're spot on uh, with your for, your previous comment about somebody like DeSantis going on the offensive with Andrea Mitchell. I mean, for way too long, conservatives have answered or defended themselves within the context of the narrative of what the leftists put out there. It, that's done, and it doesn't do any good. We've got to go on the offensive, just like that's what propelled Trump. He went on the offensive. He didn't stand for that crap. And I, I would love to see DeSantis eviscerate an Andrea Mitchell exactly. or anybody else who comes up with that crap. Exactly. Thanks for the call, Bob. And this is why they won't do it. When when New Trier had their I Hate White People Day, go back to this all the time. What, what, what was the what was the position of the people who were opposed to the seminar? Don't you teach about slavery? How dare don't don't uh, we're ah uh, ah uh, we're you know pasty white North Shore types. We can't learn about anything ugly. That wasn't their position. It was nobody's position. The position was, if you want to teach or force kids to read Ta-Nehisi Coates or Robin D'Angelo or Ibram Kendi, a.k.a. Henry Rogers, that's fine. But we want you to also include Thomas Sowell and Bob Woodson and Glenn Lowry, and John McWhorter, and Jason Riley, and any number of other black academics equally credentialed. And, by the way, with uh, much more real-world experience with the topics of institutional racism, since, for example, Bob Woods and Shelby Steele lived through Jim Crow, were part of the civil rights movement in the 60s. And Nutrier said no. We'll just cancel the whole thing. Why do they say no? We'll cancel the whole thing. Because they don't want ideas put side by side. They fear what will happen. They fear they will lose. Because they will. So they silo it. And they say, we have the biggest blowtorches. Why would we allow the other side to enjoy our platform? It's nothing but downside for us. There's no there's no benefit for us. We're we're ruling the roost. So why allow anybody in? Exactly. Which is why the press should be. Andrea Mitchell. You want to talk about uh, what we're doing in Florida? You want to understand what my views are on teaching American history? Well, let's do it. Let's do it. 
10 minutes, 15 minutes on your show, unedited, back and forth. Let's see how you hold up, Toots. I'd watch that. That's the play, in my view. But what do I know? I'm just a radio guy. Frank in Arlington Heights. Frank. Yeah, that, good morning. That would be like an NBA team playing a grade school team. That's what that would be like in election. Exactly, which is why it won't happen. But that, but but yeah, but DeSantis yeah. should be, but just people like DeSantis should be proposing it. That's absolutely. Point. Well, you know what I want to say is, you know, she's been married to Alan Greenspan for I don't know twenty twenty five years, and um, and they're as in know, love his, today as they were the first day they met. Oh, I'm sure they are. But you know, he's a, he's an intelligent man. I know his his star has dropped a bit. He hung around too long as Fed chairman and so forth. Didn't know when to hang it up, and uh, probably was partly responsible for. You know, the Great Recession, his low interest rate policies there. But, um, you know, she hasn't learned much of anything from him. It's pretty clear. You know, she's a, she's a complete lightweight. She really is. I, I have no respect for anything. That, and not that I watch NBC, but, you know, see stuff on the Internet. And I'm like, I'm not going to listen to anything she has to say. And that's been, it, you know, before when I was a kid, when she was out there, I didn't feel that way. But, I mean, she's just really diminished in, her, uh, in, my, in my view. I don't want to hear anything she has to say. Thanks for, the, thanks for the call, Frank. Dan and Amy, Chicago's Morning Answer. This is Chicago's Morning Answer. Your show keeps me alive during the week. There's nobody I'd rather listen to between 5 and 9 in the morning than you guys. On AM 560, The Answer. This is Chicago's Morning Answer with Dan Proft and Amy Jacobson on AM 560, The Answer. the morning, Dan and Amy. So, uh, Transportation Secretary Peabutt showed up in uh, East Palestine, Ohio yesterday. Did you like the meme I sent you? He was with the village people because he was the construction worker. He had the hard hat on and the reflective neon vest. Right. For someone who says he doesn't like white construction workers, he certainly impersonated one yesterday. He became one. Uh, he said, yeah, I should have tweeted earlier. Yeah, mm-hmm. maybe I should have visited earlier. But, hey... Let's all come together, and uh, if any national political figures want to help, I'm, I'm game. In retrospect, should you have come a little... And to any national political figure who has decided to get involved in uh, the plight of East Palestine, uh, Palestine excuse me, uh, I have a simple message, uh, which is... I need your help, because if you're serious about this, there is more that we could do to prevent more communities from going through this. And here's what Peabot says Trump can do for him. You mentioned a national political figure who's decided to get involved. It sounds like you're talking about Trump. And then you said, I need your help. How can he help? Well, one thing he could do is uh, uh, express support for reversing the deregulation uh, that uh, happened on his watch. I heard him say he had nothing to do with it even though it was in his administration. Uh, so if he had nothing to do with it, and uh, they did it in his administration against his will, uh, maybe he could come out and say that, uh, uh, that uh, he supports us moving in a different direction. Uh, we're not afraid to own our policies when it comes to raising the bar on regulation. And uh, I've got to think that uh, uh, him indicating that this is uh, something that everybody, no matter how much you disagree on politics and presidential campaigns, can get behind higher fines, tougher uh, uh, regulations on safety 
Congress untying our hands on breaking rules, all the other things that go with that, uh, that'd be a nice thing for him to do. Yeah, Uh, of course, uh, more uh, expansion of the regulatory state. There's always new regulations that could be advanced. And uh, this is the way that will, you know, make the world a safe place for the choo-choo trains. That's what uh, PIBA says. Um, And, of course, then spend a little time. Uh, excoriating Norfolk Southern, too, because that's always the juxtaposition, right? It's it's unchecked corporate greed. That's a problem. And it's government that lacks the power that it needs to create heaven on earth. That's the those are the twin problems that uh, the left brings to every issue. And so did Peabody yesterday. Yeah. And they came out yesterday and said they are 100 percent responsible for this accident. The onus does not lie on us. It's all their fault. For more on this and other topics, please be joined by John Hinderaker, president of the Center of the American Experiment and contributor to Powerline, powerlineblog.com. John, thanks for joining us. Appreciate it. Yeah, glad to be with you, Dan. Uh, Peabot's call for, you know, bipartisan coming together in support of expanding the regulatory state, and this is the appropriate response to the derailment. Well, first of all, it's unbelievable to me, Dan, because the Democrats have been in full control for more than two years now, holding the House, the Senate, uh, and the presidency. Of course, the House flipped in November, but you know, for for two years they've got the whole they've got the whole thing. And and Pete Buttigieg has been the Secretary of Transportation now for for more than two years, right? So if there were some some uh, regulations that badly needed to be implemented, if Congress is somehow standing in the way, well, they've been in power for more than two years, and it's rather pathetic when there's a derailment like this for for Pete Buttigieg to look backward and say, well, you know, this all has to do with something the Trump administration did years ago, which had never occurred to us, apparently, to undo. So on its face, I think that's rather pathetic. And of course, the second thing is, liberals have this childlike faith in regulations. I have not seen any coherent explanation of any regulation that has been changed that would have anything to do with this derailment. Have you? I mean, I think no. they're just making this no, they're, they're just they're, making this up. There are specific regulations. The Wall Street Journal opined on this the other day, too. There are specific regulations. He's talking about a breaking regulation there. But it had no applicability here. First of all, it's of dubious. Uh, it's it, it's dubious whether or not it would improve rail safety overall. Number one, number two, uh, it would have no application here because, among other things, as we know, the train was not designated as a train carrying high hazardous material. So these are straw men that he's erecting because they don't have anything substantive to say on this specific incident. They just want to use it as a jumping-off point to, you know, repeat their uh, agenda points. Yeah, and the idea that that more more regulations automatically equal more safety on its face is ridiculous. You know, right. what we've seen is a a regime going on for for decades now of overregulation across pretty much all of American life, which certainly has increased costs but doesn't necessarily enhance safety. The other thing I wrote about here, Dan, on this this whole derailment thing is is it illustrates the incompetence of the Biden administration. I mean, talk about low-hanging fruit. This train derails. There are these amazing images of rail cars. You've got toxic chemicals being being spilled. You've got people reporting pets dying. You have this fire with the plume of, of smoke. 
you know, it's, it's, it's such an easy photo op for Joe Biden or if Biden, you know, wasn't up to going out to Palestine, Ohio, for Pete Buttigieg. You know, Buttigieg has been taking all kinds of grief and doing a lousy job as Secretary of Transportation. And if the man had any sense at all, he would have been on the first plane to Palestine, and he would have been out there uh, with the hard hat and the reflective vest, as Amy said, giving interviews and going on television and acting like he was in charge, whether he was actually doing anything or not. I well, mean, that's just. But then, why did he wait three weeks? I mean, what, what's the reasoning? I think it's Are they sheer just lazy or stupid. Amy, I think it's incompetence and laziness, and and because they were, and maybe they just don't care. I don't know. That what Trump says they just don't care about people in places like East Palestine. He maybe. Right. But in any event, in, in political terms alone, it was crazy for, for Buttigieg not to not to make that trip. And instead, he opened the door for Donald Trump to do what he should have done. And Trump shows up passing out water and McDonald's lunches to the workers and residents and giving interviews. And it's just it's just unbelievably inept yeah, on, I, on I, Pete's part. It could be worse. I mean, it, it could be worse than not caring. They could really despise the people of East Palestine. These are 40 this, this is Trump. This is sort of Trump center cut this uh, community and that part of the country. Uh, these are people who cling to their guns and religion uh, to borrow an Obamaism. These are the forgotten people that, frankly, led the revolt that put Trump in office in 2016. And I don't really think much has changed over the last uh, two decades with respect to the political ruling class's view of these people. I think they find, especially sort of leftist elitists, I think they find these people generally objectionable. Well, I think that's what a lot of people in East Palestine think. I think, you know, you, you see them being quoted on, on, on television and so forth. But I think a lot of them have drawn that conclusion that that the government, the current government, the Democrats are, are frankly just, you know, not on their side and, and not all that concerned if they have something like a toxic chemical spill. Yeah, I mean, I, I, I mean, but, but the landscape right now, just thinking about this beyond East Palestine, the landscape going into 2024. I mean, is it, uh, uh, you know, other than sort of where Trump stands now in the public's mind, different than he did in 2016, but the landscape itself, setting aside the candidates, is it really that different than it was in the run-up to 2016? Well, I, I think something, I, I, in broad terms, I would say probably not, Dan. Some things certainly have changed. You know, the, the COVID epidemic intervened there, and that's why, that's why Trump lost in 2020. You know, he, he was cruising for victory at a platform of peace and prosperity until COVID came along. But, but the COVID epidemic has really just accelerated some of the trends that were going on earlier and made the divide between the elites and the rest of us all the more obvious. Uh, so, so that's one thing that's changed. I think the war in Ukraine is another thing that's changed. And I think Trump's record as a guy who, uh, the only president in modern times who didn't start any wars, uh, you know, uh, no, no military personnel got shot at on his watch. Um, I think as we get closer to the fall of, uh, of 2024, the Ukraine war is going to continue to be more controversial. So there's always changes in the landscape, you know. Well, well, but I don't this, think... 
Yeah, but but I mean, in terms of the the political distribution, the political feelings. I mean, uh, that the 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 war in Ukraine. I mean, that bring that right to East Palestine and Biden in Ukraine on President's Day, rather than in East Palestine. The mayor sure. of East Palestine saying, you know, that's a slap in the face. Uh, we, you know, now we know what the, the we, we, well, now we know what we think of him and what he thinks of us. Essentially, is what he said. Yeah, that's exactly right. And one thing, too, that's changed in terms of the broad landscape, Dan, is that the sorting of Americans into red states and blue yeah. states, and even within states, red areas and blue areas, has has continued and even accelerated. And, and so that fundamental divide, I think, is even more stark today than it was seven or eight years ago. What is your positioning right now on President Trump since he came out and, you know, blasted the New York Post? Selena Zito is a fake news puff piece. I mean, if you're, if you're not on Team Trump, then you're nobody. Well, Team Trump keeps getting smaller. You know, I, I, in my post on Powerline, I likened it to the movie This is Spinal Tap, where the, 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 the rock band that is sinking into obscurity and drawing smaller crowds says, oh, no, our appeal is just becoming more selective. Right? Yes. So Selena Zito, yes. and, and for our listeners who may not know, she writes for the Pittsburgh, Pittsburgh newspaper and, and many other places. And, and she, more than any other journalist, has written sympathetically about Trump's voters, Trump's people yeah. In, yeah. in Pennsylvania, the Midwest, very sympathetically. So she wrote a profile on Ron DeSantis for the New York Post. And in one statement about this, Trump was, Trump was outraged. And in one statement, he managed to denounce the New York Post, one of the top conservative outlets in the country, Selena Zito, who's probably done him more good as a journalist than anybody else, Ron DeSantis, and then by, by the by, he, he attacked Fox News and the Wall Street Journal as, as fake news and failing institutions. And I'm reading this and thinking, man, oh, man, if I was a Republican running for president, I would want to be on the good side of the New York Post and Fox News and the Wall Street Journal and, and sympathetic journalists like Selena Zito. And it seems to me that, that Trump is just going out of his way to, to narrow uh, the base of people that, that still support him. Yeah, I mean, the, the Jekyll and Hyde routine this week that, you know, the, his visit to East Palestine awesome. uh, versus versus uh, what you're describing there. And, but I mean, right now, I mean, it's the handicapping. This is very early. But I, I, do you see the pop, the prospect of a third track for somebody other than Trump and DeSantis to be competitive for the Republican nomination? Well, I think it's very hard to see, uh, Dan. One of the reasons for that is that so much support is solidifying behind DeSantis on the part of people who don't want the nominee to be Trump. Uh, and, and I would say, Dad, that virtually every Republican I know is in that category. I mean, I can think offhand of one of my Republican friends who says, yeah, let's nominate Trump again, you know. And, and so, no, I think it's a two-man race. Uh, you never know. There are always surprises. But I, I think it's going to remain a two-man two race. He is John Hindraker, president and center of the American Experiment and contributor to Powerline, powerlineblog.com. John, thanks as always. Appreciate it. Thank you, Dan. Have a great day. Thank you. And he joined us on our turnkey.pro answer line. If you're talking about it, Dan and Amy are talking about it. It's Chicago's Morning Answer on AM560, The Answer. Come join the Top of the morning, Dan and Amy. Has that been adopted as Chicago's official song yet? It should. Come join the murder of White Buffalo. 
Uh, well, that you can certainly do that if you move to any of the top 25 at minimum most populous cities in America. That uh, is part of what we understand from a new report filed by WirePoints, wirepoints.org, all things Illinois policy related. And to uh, discuss that report in more detail, we're pleased to be joined by Matt Rosenberg, senior editor at WirePoints and the author of What's Next, Chicago, Notes of a Pissed-Off Native Son. Why so angry? Matt, thanks for, for joining us. Appreciate it. Thank you. Uh, good to be with you, Dan and Amy. And it, it was my editor at Bombardier Books, by the way, who, who suggested the last part of that title. But um, if you read hap- it, you'll see. You're a happy-go-lucky native son. Oh, yeah, I'm a happy-go-lucky, pissed-off native son. <laughs> okay, you know? very good. Yeah. Um, so this uh, this report that you did, it's timely in a lot of respects because of, obviously, the Chicago primary election on Tuesday. Also because of the announcement yesterday in St. Louis, which has the second highest murder per capita in the country, that the uh, attorney general is seeking to have Kim Gardner, the Kim Fox of St. Louis, removed from office. I uh, tracked that, and that's just tremendously interesting. And in New Orleans, uh, there's more going on than we had room for in the report. The recall uh, petition signatures have been turned in to try and recall Mayor LaToya Cantrell, who has presided over a great wreckage there in the city with the highest uh, murder rate in the country in 2022. Um, You know, you look at Baltimore, uh, St. Louis, New Orleans, Chicago, uh, we're talking about failures of leadership resulting in violence suffered mainly by black constituents. Uh, and uh, it, it, this is a nationwide issue. Incompetence and, and failed leadership resulting in violence against minorities. Uh, if our court systems worked, if we did the blocking and tackling, arrest, uh, prosecute, uh, convict, and sentence, meaningfully, we, we would be getting somewhere, some traction, but no. The uh, the numbers, too, just to give a bit of an order of magnitude, obviously we know about Chicago, and Chicago led the nation in the most amount of murders in aggregate, but as you were saying, on a per capita basis, New Orleans and St. Louis, how violent are those cities? New Orleans and St. Louis, New Orleans does, St. Louis almost does, three times as many murders per capita as Chicago. Ouch. I mean, that is how that's that is that is really a statement. It, it, it is saying a lot. And, you know, we only look uh, understandably, I think, at the 75 most populous cities for which there were reliable 2022 data. But if you get down to places like Baton Rouge, Jackson, Mississippi, Birmingham, uh, you'll start to see numbers. In the in the New Orleans, St. Louis, Baltimore range, there on on the rate, um, and you know there's tension between the idea of the arithmetic total versus the rate, and a lot of excuse makers uh, for Chicago say, oh well, we're only the tenth or twelfth; it's actually the thirteenth uh, in 2022, highest rate. And okay, fine, you know, but we still had. 697 dead bodies piled up as a result of murder in Chicago last year. And, you know, do lives matter? Do black lives matter? Because 500 to 550 of those 700 uh, murder victims were black. And, you know, when one young black man gets 
you know, slain by police, and sometimes police are at fault and need to pay a price. I won't dance around that, um, but it's exceedingly rare based on the total number of police public contacts. But when one young minority male is uh, killed by police, usually because he has a gun and is not following instructions, uh, as in the case of Adam Toledo, the hue and cry is endless, and we convict the cop, you know, before the inquiry even begins in the media. Uh, but, you know, 700 dead bodies in Chicago for murder, most of them black. We try and sweep that under the rug by saying, oh, we've only got the 13th highest uh, murder rate. And then we have various media uh, personalities who I will not name who say, oh, well, it's not it's not as bad as the 1980s. You know, so long as we're under uh, 934 murders per year in Chicago, nothing to see here. Keep on moving. And I find that morally abominable. And last year, our crime spike was 41 percent, but we've already blown that away. Right now, it's at 55 percent and growing. Yes, it is. And and uh, as you know, we reported on that recently, and uh, we're tracking that. And Lightfoot, uh, Mayor Lori Lightfoot, has said, I'm putting more cops on the street. Not true. Uh, we're down 19 percent in the number of cops assigned to uh, district beat patrols. Uh, we got that from the Office of the Inspector General. It's right there for anyone who wants to do a fact check. Uh, she also said, I have a plan on crime. Well, it's an interesting plan because she's been in office four years. Crime, major reported crimes were up 41 percent uh, last year over 2021. And now at the start of 2023, as of last Sunday, uh, we're exceeding last year uh, by uh, 55%, and uh, it's okay. it's really rather striking. And several categories are uh, much higher than that. And then certain districts, like District 4, a huge police district on the southeast side, uh, major crimes are up 79% down there. And again, uh, mainly uh, black residents down there and Latinos and a few white people in Hegwish. Um, so where are the media on, on, on digging into this stuff? This, this data is posted every Monday or Tuesday, you know, right at the police department website. It's important. Uh, accountability doesn't matter so much. Uh, we need instead to understand, uh, you know, what tweets Paul Vallis liked, you know. <laughs> well, something else, too. I mean, you know, we talk about 700 murders last year and, and that doesn't uh, that doesn't even contemplate 4000 shootings. And so, you know, so and by the way, even comparing the numbers in 2023 to the numbers in the 80s and so forth. Uh, first of all, the population is a lot smaller. Secondly, yep. medicine is a lot more is a lot better. And so a lot more people get shot or saved. And thankfully so. But you got a lot more walking wounded around town, too, after having been shot, which is you know pretty traumatic injury for most people, I, I, I think. Um, so, it, you know, we focus on murders, but but obviously there are other traumatic crimes that uh, Im- impact the quality of life in the city on a wide swath of uh, for a wide swath of people. But I wonder with respect to murder specifically, did you guys look at you because you were talking about um, uh, the incidence of uh, black victims when it comes to the murder total? Did you guys look at uh, murder per capita by race? So black, white, Latino in these cities as well, because, you know, maybe those numbers and the disparity between the the murder per capita among blacks and the murder per capita and whites, maybe that would get some people talking. 
Um, that's a very good suggestion. We did not. Um, that would have been quite an undertaking, uh, and sure. sometimes it's it's a huge win just to get accurate aggregate 2022 murder data. But what I can tell you is, uh, you know, first of all, and this is uncomfortable to say, and I think we need to understand there's tremendous diversity within the black and Latino communities in any big city. Most people, the ones who aren't in the news, are strivers, right? They're trying. Right. They're employed. Um, they're doing great things. I met lots of people like that when uh, I went back to my home where I grew up on the south side of Chicago uh, to interview people for my book. So I really want to stress that enough. But in city, that said, the uncomfortable fact that, that you know mayoral candidates will not step up to is that uh, in cities with large black populations, most of the shootings and most of the murders are committed by black people against black people. Latinos are the second most. Chicago probably sets the pace for the, for, for the rest of the country in those types of cities. We have dug into it here, not on a per capita basis, but a percentage basis. And the long story short, Dan and Amy, is that 75 to 80 percent of murders in Chicago are of blacks and by black citizens. So uh, Latinos are about uh, 15 percent and the rest, you know, about 5 percent are whites and Asians combined. Uh, and we find that poverty is not the driver of this. And uh, there's even been uh, testimony to Congress from crime experts here saying that uh, arguments Spinning out of control is the main driver. So, you know, that's an issue for the home and parenting and and, and culture. Um, how do you manage to not use a gun? And our report uh, shows that, you know, I mean, a lot of the cities with the lowest murder rate were in Texas. And people are, pardon the phrase, armed to the teeth down there. But they respect guns. They, they don't use them. Uh, because somebody bumped into them on the sidewalk, you know, or somebody wouldn't let them pass on the highway. So we need to think about those things, too. Well, when you think about when you when you analyze this data and put together all this information, necessarily you start thinking about, well, uh, causes, uh, maybe even if they're secondary causes, you know, setting aside sort of the family and and, uh, you know, where some of these pathologies begin. But in terms of what the system can do to to deal with uh, to deal with people who are intent on hurting other people, uh, and and that obviously includes police, and it includes prosecutors, and it includes the court system as well. And I wonder, uh, as you've looked at this, both writing your book and doing this report, you know, if there are any particular conclusions you've drawn or patterns you see across some of the more, more violent cities. Yes, absolutely. I think that um, <clears throat> for for starters, um, we need more cops on the streets, but we also need courts that actually administer criminal justice. So when 47 percent of the sworn officers in Chicago are not assigned to uh, district level patrol, that's a problem. We also need to go back, I think and do what happened under Jerry McCarthy and Rahm Emanuel, which is foot patrols in the most high-crime neighborhoods. It actually put a significant dent, about a 25% dent, 
in violent crime. Um, but, you know, we, we need to not drop so many prosecutions. Uh, and there's a felony database uh, buried on the gray web of the Cook County State's Attorney's site where if you've got a talented data analyst like we do, you can sort through it. But they're dropping an awful lot of prosecutions, and then a huge amount are settled in plea deals on the cheap. I think the real thing to do is you, you've got to begin to sort, categorize, and report on um, what sorts of sentences are handed out. I think it goes back to what I said in the beginning, you know, blocking and tackling all of these cities that are with high murder rates tend to have George Soros funded state's attorneys, county prosecutors, and they tend to drop a lot of charges or settle on the cheap. I think the weapons offenses, weapons felonies are the real key that unlocks the door here. They're not treated as serious crimes, and the guys go through the revolving door again and again on weapons-related felonies. It may not be shooting a gun, but it may be a felon who, you know, already has two weapons felony convictions, and he's caught again with an illegal illegal gun and, you know, let out on $250 bond and then goes and does something really bad while waiting for trial. So bail reform. Uh, weakness on prosecution of gun felonies. And it's terribly hypocritical because there's a hue and cry over mass shootings, which account for about three or four percent of firearms related deaths in the aggregate nationwide. Um, But the same people who advocate for banning assault weapons, quote unquote, uh, look the other way or propagate uh, laxity. Uh, in prosecution of weapons felonies. So they're not serious about anything. It's like the reparations committee uh, of the Chicago City Council. It's barely met. It's like the reparations program in Evanston. 25 households have gotten money through that. None of these progressives are actually serious about anything. They talk about everything is performative. It's kabuki theater. Right. Well, what can they do? I mean, every mayoral candidate keeps saying, I'll hire a thousand police officers or right away, blah, blah, blah. But that's not the problem. I mean, what, we have to put pressure on Kim Fox and Evans to be tougher on criminals. Yeah, how, how, whoever wins, they're not going to be able to change Kim Fox's mind. She's pretty much dug in her heels. She wants to empty the prisons and give people, oh, you know, they'll, they'll do better next time. They'll be on electronic monitoring. It'll be fine. You put your finger on it, Amy, and I think about that a lot. And and everybody knows, I hope, we do not take sides or endorse candidates at wire points. But let's let's just acknowledge reportorial reality. There's a fair chance Paul Vallis might end up being our next mayor, which would encourage some people who are concerned about law and order. But he'll still face that issue, that elephant in the room that you just uh put your finger on, which is a Cook County court system, a prosecutor in Kim Fox and a chief judge in Tim Evans who, you know, have dug in their heels and they believe in social justice, uh, not criminal justice, when you really cut through all the talk. Um, So I don't know how that happens. I think maybe it starts with a mayor using their bully pulpit and calling it out like each time. CWB Chicago or Wire Points or even the Sun-Times. Yes, 
reports on a guy who's gone through the revolving door and then killed or almost killed someone uh, while waiting for trial. Or, you know, he's got four convictions and then he does something again because he got out early. Uh, or he's on, well, you got to call that out. So the mayor has to be kind of a policy warrior. And what that means is a guy like Vallis, if you get a half-decent mayor in there, they have to come out and say, I'm going to be a one-term mayor because, you know, the problem with Paul is that he's now dancing uh, on the head of a pin to try and contort himself uh, to please progressives. He's apologizing now for, for likes on tweets that probably some intern did. I mean, it's like social credit scores in China. When does he stop apologizing? Oh, once you start, you never stop. Yeah, that, that's, that's when they got you. Exactly. And so what's he really going to do as mayor? You know, uh, what's he going to do with CTU and the state of the schools? Um, I worry about this. And so I, I despair that even if somebody like that got elected mayor of Chicago, would they really take aim at the Cook County political infrastructure, which is about three quarters responsible for the messed up state of things? on the streets of Chicago. And unless you really go at that and call them out, uh, you know, here's a guy with uh, three, you know, three prior convictions for stabbing people on the street, but he's out again before trial after stabbing someone on a CTA bus. And what does he do? He stabs someone again on the sidewalk. And, you know, we had a, the details aren't exactly the same, but very close. We had a case like that in January. Uh, you know, and, and nobody called that out. Um, so you got to step up. You you really got to name names and use the bully pulpit. If you're going to be mayor of St. Louis or new Orleans or Chicago, you got to call out the malefactors in the, uh, elected firmament. Matt Rosenberg, senior editor at WirePoints, wirepoints.org and author of what next Chicago notes of a pissed off native son, Matt. Thanks for joining us. Appreciate it. It was a pleasure. Thanks for having me on. Thank you. And he joined us on our turnkey.pro answer line. If you're talking about it, Dan and Amy are talking about it. It's Chicago's Morning Answer on AM560, The Answer. This is Chicago's Morning Answer with Dan Proft and Amy Jacobson on AM560, The Answer. Top of the morning, Dan and Amy. Theodore Dalrymple is a retired prison doctor and psychiatrist. He's a contributing editor at City Journal and the Dietrich Weissman Fellow of the Manhattan Institute. His most recent book is Embargo and Other Stories, but you should read his full oeuvre. He's one of my favorite commentators on the planet because of pieces like the one he just wrote for Law and Liberty. You can find it at lawandliberty.org lying to ourselves, which is just genius, but and it prompts a lot of questions, which we're going to explore now with Theodore Dalrymple. Thanks so much for joining us again. Appreciate it. Well, thank you for asking me. Uh, lying to ourselves. I, I love this um, citation from The Murder of Roger Ackroyd, uh, Agatha Christie novel, where uh, the character Dr. Shepard uh, says, it's odd how when you have a secret belief of your own, which you do not wish to acknowledge, the voicing of it by someone else 
will rouse you to a fury of denial. I burst immediately into indignant speech. And um, it's such an illustration of the larger point about the views that people secretly hold that they publicly denounce. And that dynamic help us understand the person who does that. Well, uh, a person uh, wants to appear to be um, uh, to be good, that is to say, to have the right opinions, because these days being good is to have the right opinions. You can behave almost any way you like, so long as you have the right opinions. Uh, but if the right opinions are those which nobody really can sincerely hold, you're in the position of having to assert things which you don't really believe, and then you're like... Um, then you're like Dr. Shepherd, who incidentally was the murderer in the book. <laughs> yeah, right. <laughs> it's an important footnote uh, to the path that leads you down. Um, so, but 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 the, so, how do you explain what becomes popular or popular enough that I can no longer say out loud what I believe to be true? Well, that's a very difficult question, and it's a very important one. Uh, but things seem to grip. First, they seem to grip intellectuals and the academy, uh, if you like, and filter uh, downwards. They, they don't filter right to, to the bottom. I mean, if you, I'm sure if you were to talk to your plumber or um, uh, carpenter or anything like that, uh, you, wouldn't get, uh, you wouldn't get anything like the rubbish that you would get from talking to a group of intellectuals. Uh, nevertheless, the intellectuals do actually eventually get their way in society. One of the things I've noticed that is how afraid politicians who are not necessarily in agreement with, uh, uh, with the latest fads, they're terrified of, uh, of say, uh, in America, the New York Times and, and, and those kinds of media, and in England, the Guardian. And uh, so they don't dare say what they really uh, believe so they have to go along so there's always a, it's a kind of asymmetrical warfare if you like uh the people who are opposing uh what what is called woke um they don't really come out fighting uh, uh with their full fists whereas uh the people who are promoting some of these ridiculous ideas um are obsessed by them and have absolutely no fear um, you uh, you cite a Chesterton observation from, I don't know, 115 years ago that has applicability today about uh, uh, Christian virtues gone mad, if you will, um, and specifically you zero in on pity and compassion, formerly Christian virtues as you describe them, pity and compassion as the basis for uh, this, uh, this cultural phenomenon we're describing that most people, uh, probably is best is best exemplified with the trans movement yes but it will move on and in fact in spain i was reading uh, someone uh, pointing this out to me and i read the law in spain they have legalized bestiality in spain yes. yeah, because there's always a next thing i mean uh, yeah. some time ago i said well, what's coming next because people will eventually get bored uh, with transsexualism and so on, they'll um, they'll go on to the next thing, and they already have in Spain. They've gone on to bestiality, where which has been uh, legalized on condition that uh, they don't hurt the animals. Don't, yeah. uh, don't hurt the animals, so that it needs requires treatment. Uh, 
Now, how consent is, uh, how the animal gives consent, I don't know. I presume well, it's uh, impl implicit consent if it doesn't struggle too much. I well, now, I, now, I now, if it, you don't hurt, you mean don't hurt the animal emotionally or physically? Like, what if you break up with the animal? and the animal suffers from heartbreak, would that consider harming the animal? These are the kinds of questions that a serious people are supposed to ask, I suppose, around the question of legalizing bestiality. I, I, say, I mean, the animal will become... Um, Forlorn. Uh, yeah. ...to yeah. its abuser or, or uh, lover, if that's what you call it. <laughs> and, uh, yes, I mean, uh, it's absurd. Of course, the law won't make any difference because I doubt, actually, whether there will be much... Um, uh, public bestiality going on, so that it won't be bestiality is not usually uh, conducted. I assume not usually conducted in <laughs> not in yet. So not that, yet. They could go to yeah, a bar with right. their dog and start making out with them. That's the final knows. frontier. Yeah, well, that may happen. Yeah. It may yet happen. Uh, yeah. So, but but okay. So so, but you use that as a a, a, a graphic example, uh, pity and compassion. So so so. You know, expound on that. Fit that in for us. Well, compassion now means um, actually not disagreeing with anything, uh, with anybody, not not confronting anybody with with his own behaviour. Uh, so that in order to uh, to uh, be compassionate, you have to uh, suppress any kind of disagreement. Uh, tolerance, for example, is, is, is now taken to mean not passing any judgment on anything. But of course, that, that's absurd. In order to be tolerant, you have to, um, you have to disapprove of something because, of course, if you don't disapprove of anything, there's nothing to tolerate. So you can't be tolerant unless you disapprove of things. <laughs> and, and tolerance is actually controlling, uh, your disapproval and, uh, perhaps not being utterly censorious. You know, in other words, judging things, judging um, situations um, one by one and, and coming to a, a nuanced, possibly a nuanced conclusion. But it's not a blanket, it's not a blanket laissez-faire kind of um, attitude to human behavior. But that is what it has now become. Because, of course, if you say to somebody, I don't think you should behave like that, that person feels that it is a personal affront, almost an attack. And so in order to be compassionate, you have to avoid any kind of attack. You have to avoid the truth. If, for example, you take uh, a condition such as um, or a situation such as drug addiction, you have now to deny that it is anything other than an illness in the same way as uh, Parkinson's disease or multiple sclerosis is an illness, which just happens to people, we don't know why. You, have, you now have to claim that something like uh, drug addiction or being fat is just something that happens to people. It's got nothing to do with what they do or nothing to do with what they are responsible for. And that is to be compassionate, to deny the humanity of uh, people, individuals. So, I don't know, I mean, I, you know, you're a, you're a psychiatrist. How do you deprogram someone who has gone down this road, or maybe even just expose that mentality to people who are the 
the beneficiaries they think of their compassion when in point of fact they're just being sort of patronized and infantilized but what what is the response to this um to to to, to well, this my, pathology my, uh, clinic- my clinical, I, I mean, I hesitate to say that I indulged in uh, Socratic uh, dialogue with them. I mean, I suppose that's a bit grandiose. But um, I did talk to, to people as if uh, they were full human beings who made choices and decisions and so on, even if they were very bad ones. And on the whole, uh, I found that people were willing to uh, listened to what I say and actually agreed with it because they were they were actually telling themselves lies as well as telling other people lies uh, and so um, uh, this was I think the the way forward though of course I'm not saying that I just had a Socratic dialogue with them and their lives changed because often they had dug themselves into such a pit it was extremely difficult to get out of it I don't want to uh, underestimate the difficulty of getting out of the pit uh, that you dig when you have been telling yourself lies possibly for years but uh, it seemed to me that one one uh, couldn't help people by by not telling them the truth of their situation. Now, as far as society is concerned, unless people start saying these things, uh, then this kind of um, dishonesty uh, just spreads and spreads and spreads. And that, I, and I think that that is what what has actually happened. Yeah, so I mean, nothing is. Yeah. Yeah. Right. You write about this too, and and this is how we we've seen this play out. That um, the, um, uh, the 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 person who is full of what they believe is pity and compassion, or maybe they would say empathy, he is ever on the lookout for new worlds, not to conquer but to pity. And so, and and so you know that so that that is so this is how we jump from the cause celeb uh, du jour. So. Uh, no matter how sort of worthy, it's just like all hands on deck, uh, uh, unquestioned, whether it's supporting Ukraine or it's um, it's uh, sending your love to DeMar Hamlin, uh, the football player who had the attack on the field and stuff. And, and you know, initially or, or on their on their face. Yeah. OK, I, I support Ukraine against a Russian invader. Yeah, sure. Um, I uh, pray that DeMar Hamlin recovers, which he did. I'm happy for that. Yeah, fine. But they don't. But it's not left there. And it, it is it is religious in terms of their immediate knee jerk response to whatever is popular or supposed to be uh, something that we're to, to, to devote our attention to in the moment. Yeah. yeah. And it's very gratifying because you, it makes you feel virtuous. And if you're virtuous in general, uh, a lot more is uh, is uh, is permitted to you. So, in a sense, the more of these, uh, the more of these uh, compassionate gestures you make, the better you feel uh, you are. But this introduces a kind of um, how can I say uh, the logic of the arms race uh, in it, and and so gestures have to become more and more extravagant. And in fact, we come to think that people who don't make these gestures feel nothing. This is actually the um, one of the themes of King Lear. I don't know whether you remember, yes, but uh, yes. uh, his his good daughter 
uh, refuses to make extravagant claims of love. And uh, Lear thinks that uh, this shows that she doesn't love him as she should. And he is warned by uh, the Duke of Kent, who says to him, they are not empty-hearted, whose, uh, whose uh, loud words reverb no hollowness. Who's, sorry, whose low words reverb no hollowness. In other words, you mustn't just take um, superficial expressions as being true, uh, true um, signs of real feeling. Uh, and that is what we increasingly do. If you don't, if you don't express things in a, an extravagant uh, way, then you are held to have no feelings at all. Right, and then I, I like the the other uh, the the flip side of that too is when you are the uh, you know extravagant virtue signaler, then that is um, uh, th- 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 that that gives you more bandwidth for licentiousness because w- w- look at look at how good I was over here. Now you know I'm sort of beyond reproach when it comes to anything else. Yes, well that's why I think opinion is now taken as a very large proportion of virtue rather than uh, how you actually behave in your life. He is Theodore Dalrymple, retired prison doctor and psychiatrist, contributing editor of City Journal and the Dietrich Weissman Fellow at the Manhattan Institute. His most recent book is Embargo and Other Stories. Theodore Dalrymple, thanks as always. Appreciate it. Thank you very much. Thank you, and he joined us on our turnkey.pro answer line. This is The Morning Show. More Chicago radio listeners are choosing. This is Chicago's Morning Answer on AM560, The Answer. Top of the morning, Dan and Amy. That time of the week, Open Mic Friday, taking your calls with comments, compliments, concerns. Criticisms, general crack pottery. We'll take it all. Three one two six four two fifty six hundred. Turnkey dot pro answer line. Board is full right now. Try to get as many calls as we can. So, Amy, make it snappy. Make it snappy. This is a love story for all ages. Can you cue the romantic music, please? No, I've been um, on and off about Trump, mostly off. But then I saw him. Yeah, in East Palestine. Walking around meeting people, delivering pallets of water, helping them when the Biden administration wouldn't. And then he went into McDonald's. And this is just so classic Trump. And we're going to get the meals for the fire department. Hello, everybody. What's your specialty today? How are you today? Nice to meet you. Hello, everybody. That's a nice, beautiful looking group of people. Look at him. So I know this menu better than you do. See, isn't it? It's so personal. It's like normal Trump. Well, she still has the Jekyll and Hyde problem. I know, just that's too much, problem. too much Hyde. But let me just mo- relish in the moment, okay? Thank you. Okay, Thank you very, very good. much. All right. I am done speaking, and now we'd like to hear from you, Jen. Do you have anything to get off your chest? No, I really don't. I have had fun sparring on Twitter with the uh, Vallis supporters, oh, that's um, but uh, yeah, so we can take calls on that too. Uh, Tom Blue Island, you're on Chicago's Morning Answer. Hey, good morning, Dan and Amy. The, the only commentator I've heard mention that there were 400,000 Trump voters that didn't vote in the Bailey Pritzker lecture is Dan Proft. And 
to Hicken, Hickenracker, whatever his name is, and uh, the number of Trumpers, yeah. if, if they're expecting that Trump supporters are going to lie prostrate at the uh, golden calf that is Ron DeSantis, I think they got another thing coming. So push them aside at your peril. All right. Thanks for the call, Tom. There is this, still this divide, and that's what uh, buoys Trump right now. There's a divide between sort of your regular uh, urban professional Republicans and, uh, you know, a lot of folks out in uh, places like the Rust Belt in towns like East Palestine who are going to be with Trump come hell yeah. or high water, I suspect. Nothing will change their minds. Uh, George Naperville. Uh, Dan, I think the next invited guest for Biden's State of the Union should be the exhumed remains of the prisoner recently executed in Florida who railed against Republicans and Governor DeSantis. Jill could hold him on her lap. Uh, thanks for the call, George. Yeah, he's talking about this guy that was uh, on death row, executed in Florida, and he said something like, and of course the HuffPost retweeted it and other leftist outlets, like this is a feather in their cap, said something like, I did some bad things to some, some people in my life, but nothing as bad as Ron DeSantis. Oh, he said that, and then, good night, <laughs> yeah. everybody. Yep. Bye-bye. Yeah. That was after his last meal he made that comment and then died. Okay. Wow. We just stick it to the white man. Right. So so just in case anybody thought that the left would go kick gloves on Ron DeSantis as compared to Trump. Now, they'll they'll start with saying he's worse than a death row murderer and then they'll move on to Hitler. And right. Right. That's how it goes. Um, Mary Midway. Oh, Dan, I might have another arrow for your quiver of, of straightening uh, Amy out about her Jones for uh, Vellis. I go into Jones. my local library Jones. a few days ago. I was just there. I was going to use a printer, um, but it's one of those hokey early voting places. So what's the first thing I see? I walk in there, so-called alderman Ed Burke standing there, and he's got his, oh, he's got his shimmery pin on, emerald pin, and his signature emeralds. Uh, oh, of course. Green, they have a pinstripe, pinstripe yeah, oh, yeah. suit that he normally wears. Yeah. Oh, and then, of course, the trench coat. Well, that's befitting because everything is so covert with that crew. The, the uh, Lincoln so, Continental waiting outside the Union League Club. He idling should be in hiding. For him. Well, yeah. So mm -hmm. he grabs me. He basically, I'm walking in. He goes, oh, you here to vote? I says, no, I'm just using the printer, which oh, yeah. I was mad at myself. What I should have said is, why aren't you in jail? <laughs> and I said, no, I'm just here to use the printer. You should have asked him if you could see his electronic monitor. Go ahead. I'm sorry. <laughs> or my family said you should have told him why isn't he home preparing for his trial. Because so he's he never says, going oh, to court. Get this. Yeah. He says, oh, uh, well, you're not going to vote? I'm like, no, no, I won't vote on election day. So he says, well, when you vote, vote for Paul Vellis. Yeah, Paul Vellis is the man. And I just, okay, so I'm thinking. There's an endorsement. Yeah, if that isn't the writing on the wall, this lifelong crook gives you an endorsement. So That's right. Vote for Vellis. Yeah, exactly. What's you're going to vote Ch for? Change on the outside to protect mm. continuity on the inside. Trojan Ed Burke says horse, so. Man. Yeah, Ed Burke says so. <laughs> That's good enough for me. Good old days. Oh, Ed Burke. Uh, John Bridgeport. All right, we'll have a discussion on Ed Burke in the weeks to come, guys. But, Dan, i got to take you to task on four things and why I believe Vallis, if he got his message across a little better, would be 
quite favorable to you. One, Mm -hmm. and for Chicago public school students, he believes in the Constitution. He believes in the national anthem. He believes in the Pledge of Allegiance, okay? And with that being said, that means he's somewhat of a constitutionalist. He doesn't believe in the 1619 Project, and he doesn't believe in being misled and and telling people um, misleading statistics or anything like that. Second and third of all, he's not going to tell a cop, hey, you're going to be um, a you're going to be charged with a felony if you don't turn your body camera on. He's totally against that stupid stuff in the heat of the moment. If it happens, it happens, and you're not going to be prosecuted for it. What we are going to do, what he's going to do, is really go after criminals, whether they're teenagers, juveniles, or adults. Third and foremost with this, Dan, no other candidate out there believes in or is principled as he is, and those principles are not wavering, not in Vallis. And you guys know him better than we do, but he is pro he is pro-law enforcement, he is pro-education, he is pro-athletics in the education, and all these people want to do, whether it's Chewy, whether it's Brandon, or whether it's Lightfoot, is erase the chalkboard and, and create their own Chicago, their own Illinois, their own America. And last but not least, I do believe Vallis would tell Pritzker to go on a diet. Thanks. Really? John, hold on a second. Are you still there? John? Yeah, I'm still there. So yeah. uh, what's, what's your view on Ron DeSantis? Um. Right now, he's he's kind of new to not new to the game, but if he were to get any type of nomination, they would treat him like they treated Trump. No, no. no. What, what's what's your you, view on him? What what do you think oh, of him? Yeah, I think he's a strong principle type person, uh, value man, God fearing. Thanks for the call, John. Um, Paul Vallis. Let's see, what did he say? Oh, here's what Governor Pritzker said about Ron DeSantis. He's trying to pass off his covert racism, homophobia, and misogyny as a more reasonable form of Trump Republicanism. Ron DeSantis's dangerous and hateful agenda has no place in Illinois. That's what J.B. Pritzker said about Ron DeSantis, John in Bridgeport. And Paul Vallis replied, I wholeheartedly agree with Governor Pritzker. Huh. Paul Vallis's principled you were talking about John and Bridgeport and others. I no, no, I get it. I know dishonesty begets honesty and cowardice begets courage. Right. Okay. Uh, Rich Indian head park. Good morning, Dan. Good morning, Amy. I got two quick comments. The first one is, uh, why is the mayor so uh, offensive when uh, Willie Wilson said that he wanted to track down criminals like rabbits? Bunnies. Uh, my my under or bunnies, whatever it was. Yeah, rabbit, rabbits, not rats. Yeah. My understanding yeah. of what he's saying is that he wants to go after these criminals no matter what to get them off the street so they could cut down the crime in the city. Well, and if they don't, the crime is going to keep going up. Yeah, that's what he's saying. And, but but of course, it's, it's, I mean, their their uh, their indignation is performative, Rich. As and you the know. second, yeah, yeah. And the second thing is, I got a little information for you. Due to the uh, high inflation, if you drop something on the floor, you now have up to seven point three seconds to eat it. Hi oh. Five seconds. <laughs> Thanks <laughs> for was, the call, Rich. Appreciate Rich made it. a funny. Yeah, Look at him boy. go, all grown sure. up, huh? Yeah. Comedy hour with Rich in Indian Head Park. <laughs> Uh, oh, by the way, I mean, the the um, to the John and Bridgeport, I mean, the whole like American flag and he believes in the Constitution. OK, um, the the idea. 
you, you think Paul Vallis is going to go after the curriculum in, in CPS? You think he's willing to stand up to all of the race hustlers and the teachers union and say we're not going to do the 1619 Project packaged curriculum in CPS? Yes. Okay. I know. I don't, I, I don't want to I put know. money on it because mama's be- living paycheck to paycheck right now, but I right. would bet you if I had the game. Oh, yeah. No, I know. Only good things. Only good Trojan things. Horse. Yeah. Uh-huh. Uh huh. Bob Buffalo Grove. Uh, good morning, Amy and Dan. Thanks for taking my call. Been thinking of what topic to weigh in today or what you missed this week, like uh, Alan Dershowitz's comments on Trump and the grand jury hearing. But for now, it is Black History Month. And today you noted the teaching of black history and slavery. But there's lots more to this topic, and I doubt your listeners and you are aware it's Engineers Week. So Bob's best for week the black Yeah, right. So the for the greatest black week student, of the year. Right. So <laughs> so for the black students out there, yeah. uh, I wonder how much they know about the black inventors and the engineers that shaped our world. Do they, and do you even know of Andrew Beard and what key invention he made to railroads? Uh, I don't, Bob. Tell us. Uh, the automatic train coupler, how we couple the trains together. Okay. And then what about Granville T. Woods? He's known as the Black Thomas Edison. Granville Woods and, uh, also played center for the, the <laughs> Bulls in the uh, – Late 80s, early 90s. No, that was Granville Waiters. I'm sorry. Go ahead. Yes, right. Yes. The okay. Black Thomas well, do Edison. You, yes. Do you, uh, do you ride the CTA? Uh, uh, obviously, doesn't. I do not. And never okay. will. I do. He, yeah. he, pioneered, he pioneered the third rail. Oh, Prior to him, that, we that had... Um, and, uh, of course, everybody now knows, thanks to the movie, The Hidden Figures. Yeah. But, um, uh, but more recently... Uh, there's Patricia Bath. How are your eyes doing? You got uh, a good eyesight? Do I have Patricia Bath to thank for it? Yeah, that's I know. one. She was an ophthalmologist, I know, yes, yes. And then also, uh, and I got to meet her a couple of years ago, April Erickson. She's with the Goddard Space Flight Center, and uh, she's been pioneering the various um, space instrument uh, vehicles that explore the uh, universe with the various uh, uh, instruments that are on there, like the well, one now going to the sun. Well, Bob, thanks for the call. And actually, it's a great call um, because this is what Bob Woodson and uh, others at 1776 Unites are always pushing, which is tell the complete story of black history in America. Tell the success stories too. profile people that should be emulated uh, as opposed to, I mean, in addition to, not as opposed to, in addition to telling the stories of wrongs that were committed against black Americans and so forth. But, yeah, there's all these accomplished black uh, individuals in all sorts of fields. Why don't more students know about that? Where is that part of the curriculum? So it's an excellent point that Bob raises. Dawn Naperville. Hi, good morning. Thanks for taking my phone call. So as a realtor, I talk to a lot of people who want to leave Illinois and the contributing factor isn't necessarily politics. It's not necessarily the weather. It's their wallet. So I don't understand why people just stop the BS and just get to the point of what people are really concerned about. Um, and another serious note, I had heard you, Dan, call 
called Valis Polly. That belongs only to Paul Kinerko. So if we can kind of just make that. <laughs> that. <laughs> if he good. does become mayor, he's not allowed to become Polly. Okay, no, so. P, right. P had Paul. That's what I meant. Mm-hmm. Thanks for the call, Don. By the way, text from uh, 815. Paul Vallis said uh, on your airwaves he doesn't agree with the Second Amendment and it should be repealed. He did this as a fill-in host for you. Well, if he did say that, I obviously I wasn't here. If he did say that, that doesn't sound like a constitutionalist to me, John Ed Bridgeport, does it? <laughs> the hits just keep on coming. But I know, I know, look, I get it. I get it. Be- because of there's all these Vallis whispers out there who know what Vallis truly believes, so we do not have to pay attention to what he says or does. Perfect. That has always worked out in Illinois politics. Eduardo at Midway. Yeah, quickly, uh, I saw this where a lot of, there's a lot of pets in these uh, shelters due to inflation. So. Don't send them to Spain. Right. Uh, I would get a collar. Trafficking. Best dog. <laughs> No other dog has any other movies anyways. You would get, say that again? What? what? Wait, I missed that. What did he say? I was too busy enjoying Justin, my own joke. I don't remember. He said, get a something dog. A collie dog? Or, uh, oh. All right. Or shelter but there's, dog? Get shelter dogs. Don't yeah. get dogs from breeders. Was that his point? I don't I don't know. All right. Uh, Mary in Palatine. Hi. Um, I'm just wondering, has Craig in Mount Greenwood or Rich in Indian Head Park ever been in the same room at the same time? That's a good question. I don't know. I they don't know. sound the same. Very, very good. Thanks for the call, Mary. Uh, Kevin, Austin, Texas. Yeah, I was just commenting on the, the Trump DeSantis debate. It doesn't matter because unless somebody goes out and canvasses and identifies or pays for people, you know, pays for some uh, people to go out and canvass. It doesn't matter. You're never going to get those Republican-leaning Democrats or independents or the Republican disgruntled voters to get out and vote. Somebody's got to throw a couple of bucks at that now, not just send, you know, not just ads when it comes down to election time. Otherwise, it really doesn't matter. All right. Thanks, Kevin. Chuck and Delavan to close it out. Hey, thanks, Stan, for mentioning my garage band, the cowardice begets oh, courage. And it was great, great, great. I think it was ACDC ripoff band. Hats off to Amy. Amy, when you brought up that con game that them three guys were doing when they were drinking that water in that lady's uh, house, groundwater goes into the earth at 10 feet per year. You can Google it. So if, if that well was 100 foot deep, that bad water won't get down there until another 10 years. What they should do is grab them guys and make them drink the water that's in the rivers. That's what they should do. So, anyway, sorry to be a bummer on everything, but I just wanted to take my hat off to Amy for pointing all that out earlier this week. Have, right. have a great weekend, guys. All right. Thanks mm-hmm. for the call, Chuck. Chuck. Doesn't, you're going to tell him he joined us on the Munchkin line? Yeah, he did, unfortunately. And I thought I thought the Munchkin line had been eliminated, but apparently <laughs> that is not the case. Dan and Amy, Chicago's Morning Answer. Listen to Dan and Amy on your smartphone. Download the AM560 mobile app today at 560theanswer.com slash mobile. Thanks for listening to Chicago's Morning Answer podcast sponsored by Signature Bank. Signature Bank takes pride in helping customers grow their business and provide unmatched banking expertise, custom financial solutions, and the industry's best technology. So whether you're a business looking for a deposit relationship or needs a ready source of financing, Signature Bank is the right bank for you. Call today at 773-467-5600 to hear how Signature Bank can help your business grow and thrive. Member FDIC, Equal Housing Lender.